Hi, welcome to this Physicians Weekly's podcast. My name is Dr. Rachel Giles. I'm your host for this podcast. And today we've got some great interviews as usual. This is Physicians Weekly. Today's episode, number 116, honors October as Breast Cancer Awareness Month. Physicians Weekly's board member, Dr. Alex McDonald, talks with Heather Raymond, diagnosed with breast cancer in 2021 while working at Kaiser Permanente in California. And we hear her remarkable story of her breast cancer pathway. For the 31 days of Breast Cancer Awareness Month, or BCAM, pink ribbons appear as the impact of breast cancer is brought to the forefront of the national conversation. But we know that to help those facing breast cancer, awareness alone is not enough. This October, get involved. And please, get screened. Enjoy listening. Hello, Physician Weekly listeners. Uh, I hope you're all having a fantastic day wherever you may be watching or listening. It is October, which is Breast Cancer Awareness Month, at least when we're recording this. And I have a good friend and colleague who has a pretty amazing story that I want to share with you all today. Well, have her share it with you today. So again, my good friend, Heather Raymond is here. Um, and I'm going to let her introduce herself and who she is. Uh, and then we'll go a little into her story. So, so, so Heather, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, my name is Heather Raymond. As you said, I know uh, Dr. McDonald through Kaiser Permanente. I was the public affairs director in the San Bernardino County area of California for approximately five years-ish, a little bit longer. And um, I have since moved on from that role to become the vice president of marketing and communications for a local hospital in um, Southern California called San Antonio Regional Hospital, uh, where I've been for a year. So really excited to be here and thanks for the invite. Yeah, wonderful. Well, again, uh, you were diagnosed with breast cancer about a year and a half ago, two years, somewhere in that time frame. Is that correct? Yeah, I was. Uh, I found out in August of twenty one. Okay. <clears throat> By September of twenty one, I already got my double mastectomy. So the way that I found out, uh, if you'd like me to to go into that, yeah, that that uh, I think is the most important piece here, especially for our physician listeners, is is yeah. how you found out. So it's it's funny because I, I my primary care physician uh, at Kaiser Permanente was just I considered him a friend and he was a colleague as well and and I worked with him there and just an amazing person and I I recall him putting in my order just at my regular yearly appointment just physical whatnot and he said you know you should you should get a mammogram and I'll go ahead and put that in the in the system for you and. And then I completely blew him off because COVID <laughs> happened. And so we're in the middle of COVID and I went to see him again. And he said, hey, you know, you never got that mammogram. I'm like, yeah, 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 I will. It's COVID. I, I, so I saw him for something unrelated, but um, COVID, I, I promise you I'll go. And he said, just <laughs> promise me I'll go. And then I blew him off yet again. Like I think oh, my goodness. I do because I am healthy. I'm you know, I'm 40, now I'm 47, but I, I work out a lot. I, I ride my Peloton. I mm -hmm. uh, go to Orange Theory. I'm very active. And there were no signs pointing to my being sick in any way, shape or form. So right. finally, fast forward to August of 21, uh, when I went to see my optometrist 
And my optometrist was looking in Health Connect, which I, I know many hospitals have, but the database that connects our um, health record so that all the physicians can see what's going on with you. Um, and she, I was sitting behind the the eye thing to, to have my eyes looked at. And she said, you know, it says in Health Connect that you are due for a mammogram. Um, and it's been a while. That order's been in there a while. And I said, yeah, yeah, COVID. Um, as everybody out in the listening world knows, COVID just right. really was crazy. And from a communications perspective, every day things were cha changing. So my job was to relay those messages. And it was just a world of confusion. And I was so incredibly busy. And I said that to her. I'm like, COVID, it's just been crazy. And she actually pulled the thing away from my face that I was about to tell her that I can't see the big E on the eye chart. <laughs> right. And so it takes 10 minutes. Just go. And I said, okay, I will. And she said, promise me you're going to go after this. And I said, fine, I'll go. And as I was leaving her office, she actually popped out of her office door and said, hey, just want to make sure that you're on your way to go get your mammogram. Do I need to call down there? And I said, I will go, I promise. And I did. And thank God I did because, uh, and you know, a series of events happen as right. uh, our medical professionals know. You, you get, I got my mammogram and then you get back, a, hey, there could be something there. Mm -hmm. um, we're going to do an ultrasound. And then I went into the ultrasound and uh, there was something there. So we're going to do a biopsy. And I did the the biopsy. But I actually wasn't worried a bit because mm -hmm. I had very dense breast tissue. So I had this done many times in the past. So for me, I'm like, I'm healthy. Everything's fine. Mm -hmm. So back to my earlier point of going to see my PCP that second time, he he's the person who called me um, to say, hey, you know, about your back. And we kind of talked about the back spasms that I was having. And he said, and then about your biopsy and your you have breast cancer. And right. that moment, everybody says it when you hear people tell their story about finding out that they have breast cancer. But mm -hmm. that moment truly as a, from the patient side, it was sort of life altering, you know, you, right? you yeah. can't hear anything they're saying. I also consider him a friend. So it was a little bit of a different conversation where I said, just tell me, tell me what I need to do. Like right. I became very, I'm type A, I'm always busy doing something. So I was like, what do I have to do? And he said, well, you just like, take a breath. You're, you're okay. It mm -hmm. luckily it was stage one. So here's what we're seeing, small spot, yada, 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 but we, we need to have it addressed. And in my case, you know, I was on the the leadership team, the senior leadership team at KP. So I was very fortunate. Um, unlike many patients who are out just advocating for themselves, I was very mm -hmm. fortunate. My first phone call after talking to my PCP was straight to our medical director. Wow. Not everyone has that that right. ability, but yeah. I am fortunate enough to say that I did. I, I called him and said, here's here's what's happening. And our medical director said, you know, we're, we're going to help you through this. But I, I firmly believe that the care from that point on that I would have received would be the same if I was advocating for myself because the care, well, you know, I worked for Kaiser Permanente and I just feel so fortunate. I, I owe them my life and the care that I received from the team from that moment on when he sort of passed me off was just 
top notch. Mm-hmm. So that's how I found out. That's that's kind of the crux of it all. On September 17th, I had my double mastectomy. Um, and again, I spoke with the oncologist and, and I spoke with the surgeon and we really worked on a plan where they, you know, I said, what would you tell your, I could get a love back to me. I can get the mastectomy. There's option. Mm-hmm. And I said, what would you tell your sister? What would you tell your family member? And, and she really was careful about the way that she presented to me and said, you know, this decision's really up to you. Um, yeah. As a surgeon, I always want to do the least invasive thing. So I think we could take care of this with a lumpectomy. But, you know, what, what does, what's Heather's heart saying? And I said, I just really don't want to, I want to see my kids grow up. I don't want to deal with this anymore. So mm-hmm. I think that the double mastectomy is the best case scenario for me. And that's what I moved mm-hmm. forward with. And then had reconstruction six months later on the date, um, March 17th of 22. So kind of a whirlwind experience and kind of start right. to finish, despite those first several months of ignoring you and blowing off your, your primary care right. doctor, which right. which as a primary care doctor myself, I can <laughs> appreciate uh, getting blown yeah. off. Um, you know but what, I mean... There's obviously a lot of emotion tied into any any medical issue, but especially breast cancer, I feel like it has a particularly kind of more more weight for some individuals. And and there's that whole experience from the ordering to blowing off to diagnosis to treatment to to reconstruction. Like, what? How would you describe that whole experience? Like, what kind of words would you use, or or what would you share with someone else, uh, with a physician who is maybe trying to counsel another patient regarding that experience? What was that like for you? I mean, obviously, it's very individual. Sure. Well, if I'm looking at the experience from beginning to end and looking in hindsight, I'd say euphoric because none of it seemed real. None of it seemed real. Like I'm happy. I'm, I'm Heather Raymond. I'm fine. I'm not going anywhere. I'm a mom. I'm the public affairs director. Those were all the things that I was. I am not a breast cancer person. Like that doesn't happen to me. So that in hindsight is the word that I really use because it just still, even when I look back, I'm like that choke of time just doesn't seem real to me. But other words that I, what I would encourage a physician to use word words wise is, I don't want to say pressure because you you never want to pressure your, your patients. But I think sometimes a a friendly nudge Mm -hmm. and, and in the case of me, somebody who's stubborn, I think you need to know your patient and, we're all pretty intuitive, right? So you can tell when you have the patient who is just a really good listener and they're going to go do that tomorrow. You you mm-hmm. know that person. Um, but you can also tell when you have the busy mom who's like, yeah, you're a little erratic like me. <laughs> and, and Normally I would go, but I was just so incredibly busy. And it took for me that op- optometrist Right. who I am forever indebted to and have gone back since and said, you know, you saved my life. And she said, I was just doing my job. I did not save your life. And and I'm like, but you but you did because you pressured me. You pushed me mm-hmm. and you said, I'm not going to take no for an answer. Like this is, you're, you need to go do this. So I think a kind nudge um, from physicians to make sure that sometimes we're all in a rush and, and physicians, you know, you, you're on to your next patient. So you don't right. always have time, but taking the time to stop and think of your patient as a person and say, what would I tell my sister to do? And you would tell your sister, stop what you're doing and think about this. You have kids, mm-hmm. you have mm-hmm. a husband, you want to be healthy. So this test is going to help you ensure that you stay healthy because if that optometrist hadn't done that, I guarantee you I would have left her office 
and maybe gone another five months before I actually mm -hmm. did that simple test. Mm -hmm. And now we're looking at stage three. I don't know. You know, I don't right. know how, how quickly it would have progressed. So I think it's always kind of think just stepping back and looking at your patients as a family member and saying, mm -hmm. what, would I, what would I encourage them to do? Yeah. And I think it's interesting. It, it required like three touch points with the healthcare system, despite the fact you work in healthcare every day. Yeah. Um, but it required two touch points. We're the worst offenders though, right? We're the worst <laughs> Exactly. Offenders. Yep, absolutely. <laughs> but it, and it took those three touch points to uh, to finally convince you to get that get that mammogram done. So I think this is such a, um, a strong testament to the fact that all of us can play a role, whether we're a cardiologist or an optometrist or a primary care doctor or a surgeon, regardless of our specialty, when we realize that a patient is due for some routine screening tests, early detection is key, whether it's yeah. you know breast cancer, colon cancer, you name it, right? Um, uh, and I think that for me, hearing your story, we do this every single day and we sort of sort of forget about that sometimes there is a patient attached to that mammogram or that pap smear or, or whatever colon cancer screening test. And so how, I, I mean, I think you already sort of commented on this a little bit, but but for maybe a physician who doesn't think it's their their job, so to speak, to to get people to do their their screening tests, what would you say to them and, and how would you counsel them as a patient? I would tell those physicians, please change try to reframe the way that you feel about that because it is absolutely, I, I'm, look at me as your test case, an optometrist mm -hmm. who has nothing to do with my breast cancer took the time. She just took that extra minute to encourage me right. because it was the right thing to do. And I think, um, you know, like they say with children, it takes a village. And I think as physicians, like you just commented, you're caught up in your daily routine and patients, mm -hmm. You know, of course, we we all get into healthcare because we care about the patient experience and we right. want to make people healthy. And so I don't doubt that for anyone. But if every physician could just take a second to to step to stop what they're doing and say, okay, this isn't just a number. This is mm -hmm. this could be my brother, this could be my right. sister. Let's encourage encourage them. Encouragement. Right. And I think you hit the key on the head. It took one, like one minute or 30 seconds even to, for that, that optometrist, optometrist to say, Hey, go get your mammogram, right? Right. But you poke your head out the window. It didn't take, take right. a huge amount of time. Right. <laughs> and that reminder <clears throat> and that's, that sweet nudge was really all I needed. And you know, that the tests, it's funny because I don't think, I know people complain about a mammogram in particular. In particular, I hear many women say, I'm, I'm scared to go do it, or I, right. yep. I'm afraid of what that feels like. And for that five minutes of discomfort, and it's not even that sure, is it? You know, it's, it's compressing your skin. Um, but for that five minutes of discomfort, um, knowing is better than not knowing, right? Right, and, exactly. Um, why would we ever not take the opportunity to to find something out way before it becomes a problem. I mean, in my case, I'm, I'm so fortunate. Yes, I had to get a double mastectomy, but I didn't have to get chemo. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to get radiation because mm -hmm. of early detection. So right. I'm fortunate. Yeah. Do you, do you think your experience is unique? I think there's some, some experiences you have which are maybe more commonplace than we would, would imagine. You know, I... I I do think that my experience was unique in the fact that, as I stated earlier, I was um, in the senior leadership position. So the physicians knew who I was. So right. 
of course, suddenly I'm I'm part of the family, right? So, so there's a unique lens to which I believe I received care, but I don't think my story is unique. Mm. Um, if whereas you know, I, I know Kaiser Permanente has an integrated healthcare system, so you 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 automatically get lined up with a team of mm-hmm. physicians. And now that I'm not with Kaiser Permanente and I am a patient on the outside, you, I think the, the difference is that patients really need to advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. So where my, you know, my primary care physician outside of KP that I have now, they, they know my story. And so they've sent me for a battery of tests and I've been set up with an oncologist at City of mm-hmm. Hope. And so I'm not worried about my transitioning of healthcare, but I think for other patients, I think you really have to be your own advocate. And if you don't know how to do that, you need to find a family member or somebody Mm -hmm. who cares about you that can help advocate for you um, because it's easy to get lost in the system. So that's been the most alarming thing for me, walking away from an integrated healthcare system to private Mm -hmm. healthcare where you really can be looked at just more as a number. And Mm -hmm. So I I am always staying on top of my own healthcare and making sure that I'm calling them and saying, hey, I'd like to get this test. You know, what do you think? It's been a year since we did yeah. this. Yeah. I'd like to get my PAP or those types of things. And mm-hmm. um, they're not contacting me saying it's right. time. Exactly. So I think that's the biggest thing. Yeah, no, I, I think it makes perfect sense. And again, I'm I'm biased, obviously, where where I work and having a system that, and this is a great inter, uh, utilization of of AI and artificial and augmented intelligence, where you have these reminders pop up saying, "Hey, your patients due for X, Y, and Z," because everything's all integrated. We know exactly when the last mammogram was, when the last Pap was done, when the last colon cancer screening was done. Um, so I, I guess. You know, not even within a large healthcare system, but just kind of across the across the the industry. How can we do a better job educating patients regarding the importance of these screening tests? I mean, as we as physicians realize the importance, but but how can we help patients really understand the importance and the value? Honestly, as a PR professional, I think the the best touch point is when you have a patient in your office saying. Hey, I think that you need this screening. Here's some information on it. Do you have any questions of me? And I remember my primary care physician at KP, the reason we became such good friends, I'll be quite honest, when before I started working at KP, he was my PCP. Mm -hmm. And my first appointment, he ran 25 minutes late and I was frustrated because I was busy and I had things to do. And I was, but when I got into his office, and I realized I sat down and he sat with me at that first appointment and asked me five more times, do you have any more questions? Is there anything mm-hmm. else that I can help you with? you have any mm-hmm. other concerns? Mm-hmm. And just showing me that personal care for that additional five minutes, when that happened with me, I walked away saying, okay, if he does this with every patient, mm-hmm. and I realize we don't always have that time, but right. I do think that extra personal touch point, it's the, it's the things that you don't, it's the things you don't say almost as a physician. So again, I'm a PR person. So I see this lens of when you come into the room and I'm scared because I'm a patient, something's wrong with me and I don't feel well. Instead of standing above me, sit down on that little, Mm -hmm. your stool, 
because you're sitting now looking at me eye to eye and it seems like you care about me. It seems like mm-hmm. we're friends now. Now we're family. You've, you've disarmed me. You're not standing above me in your white coat looking down on me saying you need to do this and that. You're not, mm-hmm. you're now looking at me and saying, Hey, I'm going to put you in for this screening. Don't worry about it. It's super easy. You know, that you can even send this test home in the mail or those yeah. kind of things. That is what I think physicians could do that bedside manner that mm-hmm. always makes it disarms you. And it, that, that physician pulling the, the, the screening thing away from my face and saying, it, it, I'm suddenly becoming my sister and saying, right. minutes. Oh my God, just go. Right. Um, right. That was everything right there. Yeah. And I think, again, as a primary care doctor, that's what I love where you build these relationships with with patients over time and you know them for years and you know their family members. That's part of why I love being a family physician and a primary care physician. I think not everyone... Uh, has that luxury when they're right. doing episodic care um, right. or, or things like that, or or patients are kind of bouncing from different doctors or going to urgent care and they don't have that regular um, touch point, that regular primary care physician um, that I, that I think you can build that trust in that relationship with over time. I found for me personally, I, I guess there's two things I, I always think about is one, I don't ask, do you have any questions? I ask what questions you have because there are always questions, no matter what. Um, and then uh, and then also just kind of making sure that people know they can always reach out again. If there's anything else comes up, they can they can email me, they can call my office. Um, and I think just sort of being there and, and, and offering your services beyond just that physical appointment, uh, especially in this day and age with, with mm-hmm. virtual care, our, our younger patients are also just kind of ping-ponging around. They don't have that regular source of care. And I think that's such an important piece to build trust, to build uh, test, to testing Absolutely. and understand... You have a whole snapshot of your health, right? If you're if you're right. seeing ten different doctors and ten different systems, those systems don't communicate, and they don't necessarily know what you might be missing or not missing to to keep you healthy. Anyway, that's my own soapbox. I'll get off my soapbox now. I 100% agree with you. <laughs> um, well, this has been a fantastic conversation. Um, l- last question here: what what makes you most proud to to be a breast cancer survivor? What makes you most proud about having gone through this experience? I'm. For me personally, I'm proud of my resilience. I have taken, and this is just my own personal journey. I I, I think people react to <clears throat> the pain of going through something like cancer in, in different ways. And mm-hmm. I could have gotten a double mastectomy and then my reconstruction and said, yeah, I can't work out. I can't, right. I can't do this. I can't, I can't do that. But my doctors said, get moving as soon as you can. And mm-hmm. I remember the morning after um, my doctors, I didn't, I didn't have a hospital stay. So after my mastectomy, right. they, they allowed me to go home. And I remember my parents came from Wisconsin to spend some time with me. Mm-hmm. They were in the kitchen. And that morning after I came out and was walking around the island and they said, what are you doing? And <laughs> you should be resting. And I said, they said to start moving. And mm-hmm. from that minute forward, I never stopped. And I have taken my health so incredibly seriously since then. I've mm-hmm. lost nearly 30 pounds. I can do 65 push-ups, which wow. might hide behind, hey, I got a double mastectomy. I can never do a real push-up. I can do 65 real military push-ups. And I'm mm-hmm. so proud of that. And I keep pushing myself because I'm like, what else can I do? How far? How right. far can I push my health? And so I think we as a society, I I would encourage 
patients to, I'm, I, I love healthcare. I love the natural things that we can do for ourselves as well. Um, I think there's a time for medicine and then there's also a time for all of the things that you need to do to just take care of yourself, eat the right foods, mm -hmm. do the workouts, push yourself to be healthy and active. And that's going to take you so far. So my recovery, I think was so much easier because I, I listened to the physicians and I got up, I went, I got moving. I, started eating right because I want to be here to see my babies grow up and I want to have grandkids someday and, and all of that stuff that goes with it. So it's really, when I make a post about it on my social media or things like that, there's mm -hmm. always the, the adage, the, the FU cancer movement. Right. And I, I appreciate that for everything it is, but I typically say thank you cancer because cancer taught oh, wow. me so many lessons about myself. Um, taught me lessons about who my real friends are. It taught me lessons about how strong I can be and how much my family means to me and the people in my life that, and my work, how much it means to me. It really realigns what's important for you. So I really thank cancer at the end of the day for, for what it's done for me. Wow, that is incredibly powerful. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story. I hope this will uh, resonate with some of our audience and, and we will all do a little bit, take that extra 20, 30 seconds to encourage our patients to, to get their, their screening tests. I appreciate that. So nice talking with you today. Thanks again. That's all the time we have for this week's podcast, but thank you so much for listening and I hope that you found this an important topic to address. Please let us know if you have feedback. We're always open to it and we're happy to take any requests or suggestions into account. All right, stay safe and stay healthy and talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Physicians Weekly. Physicians Weekly offers in-depth interviews with the most highly respected experts in the medical community. Physicians Weekly is produced in collaboration with Medicom Medical Publishers and Physicians Weekly. 